0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and the Beasts of Tarzan, Chapter 7 and 8. And now, Chapter 7, Betrayed. The two savages, Kaviri and Mugambi, squatting before the entrance to Kaviri's hut, looked at one another, Kaviri with ill-concealed alarm. What is it? he whispered. It is Buana Tarzan and his people, replied Mugambi. But what they are doing I know not unless it be that they are devouring your people who ran away. Kaviri shuddered and rolled his eyes fearfully toward the jungle. In all his long life in the savage forest, he had never heard such an awful, fearsome din. Closer and closer came the sounds, and now with them were mingled the terrified shrieks of women and children and of men. For twenty long minutes the blood-curdling cries continued until they seemed but a stone's throw from the palisade. Kaviri rose to flee, but Mugambi seized and held him, "'for such had been the command of Tarzan.' "'A moment later a horde of terrified natives burst from the jungle, "'racing toward the shelter of their huts. "'Like frightened sheep they ran, and behind them, "'driving them as sheep might be driven, "'came Tarzan and Sheeta and the hideous apes of Akut. "'Presently Tarzan stood before Kaviri, "'the old quiet smile upon his lips. "'Your people have returned, my brother,' he said, "'and now you may select those who are to accompany me "'and paddle my canoe.' "'Tremblingly Kaviri tottered to his feet,' "'calling to his people to come from their huts, "'but none responded to his summons. "'Tell them,' suggested Tarzan, "'that if they do not come, "'I shall send my people in after them.' "'Kaviri did as he was bid, "'and in an instant the entire population of the village came forth, "'their wide and frightened eyes rolling from one to another "'of the savage creatures that wandered about the village street. "'Quickly Kaviri designated a dozen warriors to accompany Tarzan.' The poor fellows went almost white with terror at the prospect of close contact with the panther and the apes in the narrow confines of the canoes. But when Kaviri explained to them that there was no escape, that Bona Tarzan would pursue them with his grim horde should they attempt to run away from the duty, they finally went gloomily down to the river and took their places in the canoe. It was with a sigh of relief that their chieftain saw the party disappear about a headland a short distance upriver. For three days the strange company continued farther and farther into the heart of the savage country that lies on either side of the almost unexplored Ugambi. Three of the twelve warriors deserted during that time, but as several of the apes had finally learned the secret of the paddles, Tarzan felt no dismay because of the loss. As a matter of fact, he could have traveled much more rapidly on shore, but he believed that he could hold his own wild crew together to better advantage by keeping them to the boat as much as possible. Twice a day they landed to hunt and feed— and at night they slept upon the bank of the mainland or on one of the numerous little islands that dotted the river. Before them the natives fled in alarm, so that they found only deserted villages in their path as they proceeded. Tarzan was anxious to get in touch with some of the savages who dwelt upon the river's banks, but so far he had been unable to do so. Finally he decided to take to the land himself, leaving his company to follow after him by boat. He explained to Mugambi the thing that he had in mind, and told Akra to follow Mugambi's directions. "'I will join you again in a few days,' he said. "'Now I will go ahead to learn what has become of the very bad white man whom I seek.' At the next halt Tarzan took to the shore, and was soon lost to the view of his people. The first few villages he came to were deserted, showing that news of the coming of his pack had travelled rapidly. But toward evening he came upon a distant cluster of thatched huts surrounded by a rude palisade, within which were a couple of hundred natives. The women were preparing the evening meal— as Tarzan of the apes poised above them in the branches of a giant tree which overhung the palisade at one point. The ape-man was at a loss as to how he might enter into communication with these people without either frightening them or rousing their savage love of battle. He had no desire to fight now, for he was upon a much more important mission than that of battling with every chance tribe he should happen to meet. At last he hit upon a plan, and after seeing that he was concealed from the view of those below, he gave a few hoarse grunts in imitation of a panther, "'All eyes immediately turned upward toward the foliage above. "'It was growing dark, and they could not penetrate the leafy screen "'which shielded the ape-men from their view. "'The moment that he had won their attention, "'he raised his voice to the shriller and more hideous scream of the beast he personated, "'and then, scarce stirring a leaf in his descent, "'dropped to the ground once again outside the palisade, "'and, with the speed of a deer, ran quickly round to the village gate.' Here he beat upon the fiber-bound saplings of which the barrier was constructed, shouting to the natives in their own tongue that he was a friend who wished food and shelter for the night. Tarzan knew well the nature of these natives. He was aware that the grunting and screaming of Sheeta in the tree above them would set their nerves on edge, and that his pounding upon their gate after dark would still further add to their terror. That they did not reply to his hail was no surprise, for natives are fearful of any voice that comes out of the night from beyond their palisades, "'attributing it always to some demon or other ghostly visitor. "'But still he continued to call. "'Let me in, my friends,' he cried. "'I am a white man pursuing the very bad white man "'who passed this way a few days ago. "'I follow to punish him for the sins he has committed against you and me. "'If you doubt my friendship, "'I will prove it to you by going into the tree above your village "'and driving Sheeta back into the jungle before he leaps among you. "'If you will not promise to take me in and treat me as a friend, "'I shall let Sheeta stay and devour you.' FOR A MOMENT THERE WAS SILENCE. THEN THE VOICE OF AN OLD MAN CAME OUT OF THE QUIET OF THE VILLAGE STREET. "'IF YOU ARE INDEED A WHITE MAN, AND A FRIEND, WE WILL LET YOU COME IN, BUT FIRST YOU MUST DRIVE SHEETA AWAY.' "'VERY WELL,' REPLIED TARZAN. LISTEN, AND YOU SHALL HEAR SHEETA FLEEING BEFORE ME.' THE APE MAN RETURNED QUICKLY TO THE TREE, AND THIS TIME HE MADE A GREAT NOISE AS HE ENTERED THE BRANCHES, AT THE SAME TIME GROWLING OMINOUSLY AFTER THE MANNER OF THE PANTHER, SO THAT THOSE BELOW WOULD BELIEVE THAT THE GREAT BEAST WAS STILL THERE." When he reached a point well above the village street, he made a great commotion, shaking the tree violently, crying aloud to the panther to flee or be killed, and punctuating his own voice with the and punctuating his own voice with the screams and mouthings of an angry beast. Presently, he raced toward the opposite side of the tree and off into the jungle, pounding loudly against the boles of trees as he went, and voicing the panther's diminishing growls as he drew further and further away from the village. A few minutes later, he returned to the village gate. Calling to the natives within, I have driven Sheeta away," he said. "Now come and admit me as you promised." For a time, there was a sound of excited discussion within the palisade, but at length a half dozen warriors came and opened the gates, peering anxiously out in evident trepidation as to the nature of the creature which they should find waiting there. They were not much relieved at sight of an almost naked white man, but when Tarzan had reassured them in quiet tones, protesting his friendship for them, they opened the barrier a trifle further and admitted him. When the gates had been once more secured, the self-confidence of the savages returned, and as Tarzan walked up the village street towards the chief's hut, he was surrounded by a host of curious men, women, and children. From the chief he learned that Rokoff had passed up the river a week previous, and that he had horns growing from his forehead, and was accompanied by a thousand devils. Later the chief said that the very bad white man had remained a month in his village. Though none of these statements agreed with Kaviri's, That the Russian was but three days gone from the chieftain's village, and that his following was much smaller than now stated. Tarzan was in no manner surprised at the discrepancies, for he was quite familiar with the savage's mind's strange manner of functioning. What he was most interested in knowing was that he was upon the right trail, and that it led toward the interior. In this circumstance, he knew that Rokoff could never escape him. After several hours of questioning and cross questioning, the ape man learned that another party had preceded the Russian by several days three whites a man, a woman, and a little man-child, with several Mosulas. Tarzan explained to the chief that his people would follow him in a canoe, probably the next day, and that though he might go on ahead of them, the chief was to receive them kindly, and have no fear of them, for Mugambi would see that they did not harm the chief's people, if they were accorded a friendly reception. And now, he concluded, I shall lie down beneath this tree and sleep. I am very tired. Permit no one to disturb me. The chief offered him a hut, "'But Tarzan, from past experience of native dwellings, preferred the open air, "'and further, he had plans of his own that could be better carried out "'if he remained beneath the tree. "'He gave as his reason a desire to be close at hand should she return, "'and after this explanation the chief was very glad to permit him to sleep beneath the tree. "'Tarzan had always found that it stood him in good stead to leave with natives "'the impression that he was to some extent possessed of more or less miraculous powers. "'He might easily have entered their village without recourse to the gates.' "'but he believed that a sudden and unaccountable disappearance "'when he was ready to leave them "'would result in a more lasting impression upon their minds, "'and so, as soon as the village was quiet in sleep, he rose, "'and leaping into the branches of the tree above him, "'faded silently into the black mystery of the jungle night. "'All the balance of that night the ape-man swung rapidly "'through the upper and middle terraces of the forest. "'When the going was good there, "'he preferred the upper branches of the giant trees, "'for then his way was better lighted by the moon.' "'But so accustomed were all his senses to the grim world of his birth "'that it was possible for him, even in the dense, black shadows near the ground, "'to move with ease and rapidity. "'You or I walking beneath the arcs of Main Street, or Broadway, or State Street, "'could not have moved more surely, or with a tenth of the speed of the agile ape-man, "'through the gloomy mazes that would have baffled us entirely. "'At dawn he stopped to feed, and then he slept for several hours, "'taking up the pursuit again toward noon.' Twice he came upon natives, and though he had considerable difficulty in approaching them, he succeeded in each instant in quieting both their fears and warlike intentions toward him, and learned from them that he was upon the trail of the Russian. Two days later, still following up the Ugambi, he came upon a large village. The chief, a wicked-looking fellow with the sharp-filed teeth that often denote the cannibal, received him with apparent friendliness. The ape-man was now thoroughly fatigued, and had determined to rest for eight or ten hours that he might be fresh and strong when he caught up with Rokoff, as he was sure he must do within a very short time. The chief told him that the bearded white man had left his village only the morning before, and that doubtless he would be able to overtake him in a short time. The other party the chief had not seen or heard of, so he said. Tarzan did not like the appearance or manner of the fellow, who seemed, though friendly enough, "'to harbor a certain contempt for this half-naked white man "'who came with no followers and offered no presents. "'But he needed the rest and food that the village would afford him with less effort than the jungle. "'And so, as he knew no fear of man, beast, or devil, "'he curled himself up in the shadow of a hut and was soon asleep. "'Scarcely had he left the chief than the latter called two of his warriors, "'to whom he whispered a few instructions. "'A moment later the sleek black bodies were racing along the river path "'upstream toward the east.' In the village the chief maintained perfect quiet. He would permit no one to approach the sleeping visitor, nor any singing, nor loud talking. He was remarkably solicitous, lest his guest be disturbed. Three hours later several canoes came silently into view from up the Ugambi. They were being pushed ahead rapidly by the brawny muscles of their black crews. Upon the bank before the river stood the chief, his spear raised in a horizontal position above his head, as though in some manner of predetermined signal to those within the boats. And such indeed was the purpose of his attitude, which meant that the white stranger within his village still slept peacefully. In the bowels of two of the canoes were the runners that the chief had sent forth three hours earlier. It was evident that they had been dispatched to follow and bring back this party, and that the signal from the bank was one that had been determined upon before they left the village. In a few moments the dugouts drew up to the verger-clad bank. The native warriors filed out, and with them a half a dozen white men. Sullen, ugly-looking customers they were, and none more so than the evil-faced, black-bearded man who commanded them. "'Where is the white man your messengers report to be with you?' he asked of the chief. "'This way, bwana," replied the native. "'Carefully have I kept the silence in the village that he might still be asleep when you returned. I do not know that he is one who seeks to do you harm, but he questioned me closely about your coming and your going, and his appearance is that of one you described.' "'but whom you believe safe in the country which you call Jungle Island. "'Had you not told me this tale, I should not have recognized him, "'and then he might have gone after and slain you. "'If he is a friend and no enemy, then no harm has been done, Buana. "'But if he proves to be an enemy, "'I should like very much to have a rifle and some ammunition.' "'You have done well,' replied the white man, "'and you shall have the rifle and ammunition, "'whether he be a friend or enemy, provided that you stand with me.' "'I shall stand with you, Buana." "'said the chief, and now come and look upon the stranger, "'who sleeps within my village.' "'So saying, he turned and led the way toward the hut, "'in the shadow of which the unconscious Tarzan slept peacefully. "'Behind the two men came the remaining whites and a score of warriors, "'but the raised forefingers of the chief and his companion "'held them all to perfect silence. "'As they turned the corner of the hut, cautiously and upon tiptoe, "'an ugly smile touched the lips of the white "'as his eyes fell upon the giant figure of the sleeping ape-man.' "'The chief looked at the other inquiringly. "'The latter nodded his head to signify "'that the chief had made no mistake in his suspicions. "'Then he turned to those behind him "'and, pointing to the sleeping man, "'motioned for them to seize and bind him. "'A moment later a dozen brutes "'had leaped upon the surprised Tarzan, "'and so quickly did they work "'that he was securely bound "'before he could make half an effort to escape. "'Then they threw him down upon his back, "'and as his eyes turned toward the crowd that stood near they fell upon the malign face of Nicholas Rokov. A sneer curled the Russians' lips. He stepped quite close to Tarzan. "'Pig!' he cried. "'Have you not learned sufficient wisdom to keep away from Nicholas Rokov?' Then he kicked the prostrate man full in the face. "'That for your welcome,' he said. "'Tonight, before my Ethiop friends eat you, I shall tell you what has already befallen your wife and child.' And what further plans I have for their futures. We'll return with chapter eight, right after these sponsor messages. And now chapter eight of the Beasts of Tarzan, The Dance of Death. Through the luxuriant, tangled vegetation of the Stygian jungle night, a great lithe body made its way sinuously and in utter silence upon its soft padded feet. Only two blazing points of yellow-green flames shone occasionally with the reflected light of the equatorial moon that now and again pierced the softly-sighing roof rustling in the night wind. Occasionally the beast would stop with high-held nose, sniffing searchingly. At other times a quick, brief incursion into the branches above delayed it momentarily in its steady journey toward the east. To its sensitive nostrils came the subtle, unseen spoor of many a tender four-footed creature, bringing the slaver of hunger to the cruel, drooping jowl. "'but steadfastly it kept on its way, "'strangely ignoring the cravings of appetite "'that at another time would have sent the rolling, "'fur-clad muscles flying at some soft throat. "'All that night the creature pursued its lonely way, "'and the next day it halted only to make a single kill, "'which it tore to fragments and devoured with sullen, "'grumbling rumbles as though half-famished for lack of food. "'It was dusk when it approached the palisade "'that surrounded a large native village. "'Like the shadow of a swift and silent death, "'it circled the village,' Nose to ground, halting at last close to the palisade, where it almost touched the backs of several huts. Here the beast sniffed for a moment and then, turning its head upon one side, listened with uppricked ears. What it heard was no sound by the standards of human ears, yet to the highly attuned and delicate organs of the beast, a message seemed to be borne to the savage brain. A wondrous transformation was wrought in the motionless mass of statuesque bone and muscle that had an instant before stood as though carved out of the living bronze. As if it had been poised upon steel springs, suddenly released, it rose quickly and silently to the top of the palisade, disappearing, stealthily and cat-like, into the dark space between the wall and the back of an adjacent hut. In the village street beyond, women were preparing many little fires and fetching cooking pots filled with water for the great feast was to be celebrated ere the night was many hours older. About a stout stake near the center of the circling fires, a little knot of black warriors stood conversing, their bodies smeared with white and blue and ochre in broad and grotesque bands. Great circles of color were drawn about their eyes and lips, their breasts and abdomens, and from their clay-plastered coiffures rose gay feathers and bits of long, straight wire. The village was preparing for the feast, while in a hut at one side of the scene of the coming orgy, the bound victim of their bestial appetites lay waiting for the end. And such an end! Tarzan of the apes, tensing his mighty muscles, strained at the bonds that pinioned him, but they had been reinforced many times at the instigation of the Russian, so that not even the ape-man's giant brawn could budge them. Tarzan had looked the hideous hunter-death in the face many a time, and smiled, and he would smile again tonight when he knew the end was coming quickly. But now his thoughts were not of himself, but of those others, the dear ones who must suffer most because of his passing. Jane would never know the manner of his death, for that he thanked heaven, and he was thankful also that she at least was safe in the heart of the world's greatest city, safe among kind and loving friends who would do their best to lighten her misery. But the boy! Tarzan writhed at the thought of him. His son! And now he, the mighty lord of the jungle, he, Tarzan, king of the apes, the only one in all the world fitted to find and save the child from the horrors that Rokoff's evil mind had planned, had been trapped like a silly, dumb creature. He was to die in a few hours, and with him would go the child's last chance of secure. Rokoff had been in to see and revile and abuse him several times during the afternoon, but he had been able to wring no word of remonstrance or murmur of pain from the lips of the giant captive. So at last he had given up, reserving his particular bit of exquisite mental torture for the last moment, when, "'just before the savage spears of the cannibals "'should forever make the object of his hatred "'immune to further suffering, "'the Russian planned to reveal to his enemy "'the true whereabouts of his wife, "'whom he thought safe in England. "'The dusk had fallen upon the village, "'and the ape-man could hear the preparations "'going forward for the torture and the feast. "'The dance of death he could picture in his mind's eye, "'for he had seen the thing many times in the past. "'Now he was to be the central figure, "'bound to the stake.' The torture of the slow death as the circling warriors cut him to bits with the fiendish skill, that mutilated without bringing unconsciousness, had no terrors for him. He was inured to suffering, and to the sight of blood, and to cruel death, but the desire to live was no less strong within him, and until the last spark of life should flicker and go out, his whole being would remain quick with hope and determination. Let them relax their watchfulness but for an instant. He knew that his cunning mind and giant muscles would find a way to escape, escape and revenge. As he lay, thinking furiously on every possibility of self-salvation, there came to his sensitive nostrils a faint and a familiar scent. Instantly every faculty of his mind was upon the alert. Presently his trained ears caught the sound of the soundless presence without, behind the hut wherein he lay. His lips moved, and although no sound came forth that might have been appreciable to a human ear beyond the walls of his prison, yet he realized that the one beyond would hear. Already he knew who that one was, "'for his nostrils had told him as plainly as your eyes or mine "'tell us of the identity of an old friend "'whom we come upon in broad daylight.' "'An instant later we heard the soft sound of a fur-clad body "'at padded feet scaling the outer wall behind the hut, "'and then a tearing at the poles which formed the wall. "'Presently through the hole thus made "'slunk a great beast pressing its cold muzzle close to his neck. "'It was Sheeta, the panther. "'The beast snuffed round the prostrate man, whining a little.' There was a limit to the interchange of ideas which could take place between these two, and so Tarzan could not be sure that Sheeta understood all that he attempted to communicate to him. That the man was tied and helpless, Sheeta could, of course, see, but that to the mind of the panther this would carry any suggestion of harm in so far as his master was concerned, Tarzan could not guess. What had brought the beast to him? The fact that he had come augured well for what he might accomplish. But when Tarzan tried to get Sheeta to gnaw his bonds asunder, the great animal could not seem to understand what was expected of him, and instead but licked the wrists and arms of the prisoner. Presently there came an interruption. Someone was approaching the hut. Sheeta gave a low growl and shrank into the blackness of a far corner. Evidently the visitor did not hear the warning sound, for almost immediately he entered the hut, a tall, naked, savage warrior. He came to Tarzan's side and pricked him with a spear from the lips of the ape-man came a weird, uncanny sound, and in answer to it there leaped from the blackness of the hut's furthermost corner a bolt of fur-clad death. Full upon the breast of the painted savage the great beast struck, bearing sharp talons in the black flesh and sinking the great yellow fangs in the native's throat. There was a fearful scream of anguish and terror from the native, and mingled with it was the hideous challenge of the killing panther. Then came silence, silence except for the rending of bloody flesh and the crunching of human bones between mighty jaws. THE NOISE HAD BROUGHT SUDDEN QUIET TO THE VILLAGE WITHOUT. THEN THERE CAME THE SOUND OF VOICES IN CONSULTATION. HIGH-PITCHED, FEAR-FILLED VOICES, AND DEEP, LOW TONES OF AUTHORITY AS THE CHIEF SPOKE. TARZAN AND THE PANTHER HEARD THE APPROACHING FOOTSTEPS OF MANY MEN, AND THEN, TO TARZAN'S SURPRISE, THE GREAT CAT ROSE FROM ACROSS THE BODY OF ITS KILL AND slunk NOISELESSLY FROM THE HUT THROUGH THE APERTURE THROUGH WHICH IT HAD ENTERED. THE MAN HEARD THE SOFT SCRAPING OF THE BODY AS IT PASSED OVER THE TOP OF THE PALISADE, AND THEN SILENCE. "'From the opposite side of the hut he heard the savages approaching to investigate. "'He had little hope that Sheeta would return, "'for had the great cat intended to defend him against all comers "'it would have remained by his side as it heard the approaching savages without. "'Tarzan knew how strange were the workings of the brains "'of the mighty carnivore of the jungle, "'how fiendishly fearless they might be in the face of certain death, "'and again how timid upon the slightest provocation.' There was doubt in his mind that some note of the approaching natives vibrating with fear had struck an answering chord in the nervous system of the panther, sending him slinking to the jungle, his tail between his legs. The man shrugged. Well, what of it? He had expected to die, and after all, what might Cheetah have done for him other than to maul a couple of his enemies before a rifle in the hands of one of the whites should have dispatched him? If only the cat could have released him! Ah! "'that would have resulted in a very different story. "'But it had proved beyond the understanding of Sheeta, "'and now the beast was gone, "'and Tarzan must definitely abandon Hope. "'The natives were at the entrance to the hut now, "'peering fearfully into the dark interior. Two in advance held lighted torches in their left hands "'and ready spears in their right. "'They held back timorously against those behind "'who were pushing them forward. "'The shrieks of the panther's victim, "'mingled with those of the great cat, "'had wrought mightily upon their poor nerves.' and now the awful silence of the dark interior seemed even more terribly ominous and had the frightful screaming. Presently one of those who was being forced unwillingly within hit upon a happy scheme for learning first the precise nature of the danger which menaced him from the silent interior. With a quick movement he flung his lighted torch into the center of the hut. Instantly all within was illuminated for a brief second before the burning brand was dashed out against the earth floor. There was the figure of the white prisoner still securely bound as they had last seen him and in the center of the hut another figure equally as motionless, its throat and breast horribly torn and mangled. The sight that met the eyes of the foremost savages inspired more terror within their superstitious breasts than with the presence of Sheeta, for they saw only the result of a ferocious attack upon one of their fellows. Not seeing the cause, their fear-ridden minds were free to attribute the ghastly work to supernatural causes, and with that thought they turned, screaming from the hut, bowling over those who stood directly behind them in the exuberance of their terror. For an hour Tarzan heard only the murmur of excited voices from the far end of the village. Evidently the savages were once more attempting to work up their flickering courage to a point that would permit them to make another invasion of the hut. For now and then came a savage yell, such as the warriors gave to bolster up their bravery upon the field of battle. But in the end it was two of the whites who first entered, carrying torches and guns. Tarzan was not surprised to discover that neither of them was Rokoff. He would have wagered his soul that no power on earth could have tempted that great coward to face the unknown menace of the hut. When the natives saw that the white men were not attacked, they, too, crowded into the interior, their voices hushed with terror as they looked upon the mutilated corpse of their comrade. The whites tried in vain to elicit an explanation from Tarzan, but to all their queries he but shook his head, a grim and knowing smile curving his lips. At last Rokoff came. His face grew very white as his eyes rested upon the bloody thing grinning up at him from the floor, the face set in a death-mask of excruciating horror. "'Come,' he said to the chief. "'Let us get to work and finish this demon before he has an opportunity to repeat this thing upon more of your people.' The chief gave orders that Tarzan should be lifted and carried to the stake, but it was several minutes before he could prevail upon any of his men to touch the prisoner. At last, however— Four of the younger warriors dragged Tarzan roughly from the hut, "'and once outside, the pall of terror seemed lifted from the savage hearts. "'A score of howling natives pushed and buffeted the prisoner down the village street "'and bound him to the post in the center of the circle of little fires and boiling cooking-pots. "'When at last he was made fast and seemed quite helpless and beyond the faintest hope of succour, "'Rokoff's shriveled ward of courage swelled to its usual proportions when danger was not present. "'He stepped close to the ape-man,' and, seizing a spear from the hands of one of the savages, was the first to prod the helpless victim. A little stream of blood trickled down the giant's smooth skin from the wound in his side, but no murmur of pain passed his lips. The smile of contempt upon his face seemed to infuriate the Russian. With a volley of oaths he leaped at the helpless captive, beating him upon the face with his clenched fist and kicking him mercilessly about the legs. Then he raised the heavy spear to drive it through the mighty heart, and still Tarzan and the Apes smiled contemptuously upon him. Before Rokoff could drive the weapon home, the chief sprang upon him and dragged him away from his intended victim. Stop, white man, he cried. Rob us of this prisoner in our death dance, and you yourself may have to take his place. The threat proved most effective in keeping the Russian from further assaults upon the prisoner, though he continued to stand a little apart and hurl taunts at his enemy. He told Tarzan that he himself was going to eat the ape man's heart. "'he enlarged upon the horrors of the future life of Tarzan's son, "'and intimated that his vengeance would reach as well to Jane Clayton. "'You think your wife safe in England?' said Rokoff. "'Poor fool! "'She is even now in the hands of one not even of decent birth, "'and far from the safety of London and the protection of her friends. "'I had not meant to tell you this "'until I could bring to you upon Jungle Island proof of her fate. "'Now that you are about to die the most unthinkably horrid death "'that has given a white man to die,' Let this word of the plight of your wife add to the torments that you must suffer before the last savage spear thrust releases you from your torture. The dance had commenced now, and the yells of the circling warriors drowned Rokoff's further attempts to distress his victim. The leaping savages, the flickering firelight playing upon their painted bodies, circled about the victim at the stake. To Tarzan's memory came a similar scene, when he had rescued Darnot from a like predicament at the last moment before the final spear thrust should have ended his sufferings. Who was there now to rescue him? In all the world there was none able to save him from the torture and the death. The thought that these human fiends would devour him when the dance was done caused him not a single qualm of horror or disgust. It did not add to his sufferings as it would have to those of an ordinary white man, for all his life Tarzan had seen the beasts of the jungle devour the flesh of their kills. Had he not himself battled for the grisly forearm of a great ape at that long-gone dum-dum, when he had slain the fierce tublet and won his niche in the respect of the apes of Kerchak. The dancers were leaping more closely to him now. The spears were commencing to find his body in the first torturing pricks that prefaced the more serious thrusts. It would not be long now. The ape-man longed for the last savage lunge that would end his misery. And then, far out in the mazes of the weird jungle, rose a shrill scream. For an instant the dancers paused, "'and in the silence of the interval "'there rose from the lips of the fast-bound white man "'an answering shriek, more fearsome and more terrible "'than that of the jungle beast that had roused it. "'For several minutes the blacks hesitated. "'Then, at the urging of Rokoff and their chief, "'they leaped in to finish the dance and the victim. "'But ere ever another spear touched the brown hide, "'a tawny streak of green-eyed hate and ferocity "'bounded from the door of the hut "'in which Tarzan had been imprisoned, "'and Sheeta, the panther, stood snarling beside his master.' For an instant the blacks and the whites stood transfixed with terror their eyes were riveted upon the bared fangs of the jungle cat only tarzan and the apes saw what else there was emerging from the dark interior of the hut for an instant the blacks and the whites stood transfixed with terror their eyes were riveted upon the bared fangs of the jungle cat only tarzan of the apes saw what else there was emerging from the dark interior of the hut Join us next week, Sunday night, for chapters 9 and 10 of The Beasts of Tarzan. If you're enjoying our story, please do take a moment, send a review for 1001 Stories for the Road podcast. We would appreciate that very much, and it helps new listeners find us. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.